You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. Okay, so today on the show, I have Perry Clemens. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit of background about just yourself. Oh, thank you. So um, I am a third grade teacher. I live in Harlem, New York. I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I moved to New York City when I was around six. And I have been living in New York City ever since. I went to schools in New York, and I went to college in Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, um, Mm -hmm. which was a very enlightening, very very life-changing experience. Morehouse College, I studied philosophy and Spanish. Then I, I, with a graduate in philosophy, with a degree in philosophy, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I know what I could do, you know, next. So I got I got a random call to go to teach in South Korea, to teach English in South Korea. So I went to South Korea. This is during the during the recession of 2009. So a a full time job anywhere would sound good to me. So I went to South Korea and I taught English as a second language in about three public schools in South Korea. Mm -hmm. And I really fell in love with teaching there. Like I fell in love with the whole thing of teaching. I taught a little bit before in college, but this was really immersing and I loved it. So I came back to the States and got my master's in applied linguistics to teach ESL. And I taught ESL for about four or five years. And then I went into the administration for schools, um, working in an office at a school. And then I got right back into teaching again, uh, teaching third grade. And this is my fifth year teaching third grade. And I absolutely love third grade. It's just a really fun year to teach. And I just love teaching. I, and I'm, I'm also like an inventor and a serial entrepreneur. So I really like creating things and solving problems and just um, especially making educational materials. So you created Inequalityopoly, which sounds like just the absolute perfect coming together of all of these things, right? Philosophy, yes. education, entrepreneurship. Yes. Yeah. So that. tell me about what went into that. How did you decide to do this? Well, I started out when I, went, when I attended a um, diversity training, and I thought this is a really important information. Like, this stuff is so important that they're talking about. But mm-hmm. the way they're giving it is not always engaging. And also, it's not really possible for people to completely engage with the material when you're doing a diversity training with all of your colleagues. I can imagine, for me, a lot of the things that were brought up during the diversity trainings, I knew I'd experienced because I'm a black black man in America, like I experienced all of this stuff. It's harder for people who have not experienced it to really understand how those things affect people. And of course, the, the trainers have a lot of difficulty in that. So I recognized that and I said, as an educator, my job is to make take something that is important, but boring or just not interesting and make it interesting and make it engaging and make it personalized. So maybe I can make this whole diversity training into a game and gamify it. And when mm-hmm. I was in Morehouse College, I was always reading all these studies about racism in America and how it's, it's documented. It's not like something that you have to really search hard to find. But putting right. all these studies and articles into one you know, kind of thing that people can understand is a difficult process. You know, it's a lot to learn. There's a lot of different nuances to it. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if I can make it into a game 
I can educate people about this and, you know, hopefully it'll be another tool for diversity trainers to have to educate people. So when I thought about the game, I thought, what's my favorite game? My favorite board game is Monopoly, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, what, what game defines America? Monopoly, right? Like if if um like capitalism is all in, encompassed in Monopoly. So yes. with that said, I thought maybe I could take Monopoly and modify it to to a point where it, it can teach about these different things that happen. And at first, the game started about me just talking about racism and how racism affects um, accumulation of wealth. But then you know, looking at my wife, and I was like, why am I not including sexism? Because sexism also includes. Uh, the effects how people are accumulating wealth and are experiencing the world. It took me a long time to realize that I could make this game. And um, it took a lot of research and a lot of playtesting and um, a lot of iterations. Finally here, three and a half years later, have a finished game that is ready to be given out to the public. That's awesome. So tell me about the game. Like, just for people who are listening, how do you play? What is the purpose of it? And who did you create this for? Okay, so the game is basically a custom property trading game, like in the style of Monopoly, in which everyone receives an identity card. The identity card represents your perceived identity. Now, this is a very important point because racism and sexism is about how you're perceived, not about how you are, right? Uh, you can Ooh. be perceived a certain way and not be that way, you know? Right, right. So all the ID cards are perceived identity. So, for example, you would receive a card saying your perceived identity is a white woman or a black man or a Latinx woman. And based on that identity card, you will know how what your salary is based on national studies, how your chances of getting a mortgage approved. So that identity card really dictates a lot of things that happen in the game. So when you play, play Monopoly, it's a meritocracy. Everyone has the same opportunity, but luck kind of defines what happens. But in this game, people start out with a lower salary or a higher salary or a higher chance of getting arrested. So the identity cards are really the one of the most important parts of the game because they kind of dictate how you're treated and how different opportunities can be presented to you. Mm -hmm. um, so, and the object of the game, of course, is to become the richest player in the game, the wealthiest player in the game by making deals, buying property and developing on your property. Who do you envision? Like, who did you make the game for? Did you make this for average households or were you thinking of educators? My, my mom is an artist. My dad is a journalist. You know, I think that those kind of really play into my, my life now because I love art and I love mm -hmm. learning about things and, and seeing how things apply. So yeah. when I made this game, I really made it as a kind of filter dreams model. Like I just made it kind of just for me, kind of just for, for educating. Like I didn't really know who I would sell it to. I just made it because mm -hmm. it was like, it was literally a passion project for three years of my life. I was just making this game on my free time at every given moment I was making this game or playtesting this game. Just from a passion, this was just, it was fun to learn about these things. It was fun to learn how to apply it. And I love creating things. So I really didn't make it for anyone in mind. But now that it's created, everyone's asking me, where, who is this sold for? And it's really mm -hmm. hard to say because um, the game is made for people 13 and up. I've had students play it at high schools. I've spoken at high schools and the students have played it. And the students really loved it. And when the students played it, very, a very diverse mix of students played it. It was really good to kind of see how they interacted with the game. And also mm -hmm. to see them learn financial literacy, because one of the kind of unintended consequences of the game is you learn financial literacy, you learn about insurance, you learn about wealth, you learn about assets, you learn about property, you know, and those kind of things are helpful for kids to learn. So the students yeah. were not only learning about how these things affect your life, but also, I mean, I also remember when I was playing the game one time, it was a black student was playing the game and he said, why should I buy property? I'm going to keep all my money. I'm going to save all my money. And everyone was like, no, buy property. 
you know and it yeah. was like a lesson for him to learn for students that's they kind of learned this lesson but really for students like especially generation z students they are i mean this stuff is already secondhand to them like they know it really well i think generation z students have been raised with this so much so they were really open to it engaged with it and i've mm-hmm. also played with just you know friends family of course love to play the game also, the diversity trainers have also bought it. I have a lot of people who have bought it to trainings at their schools or their organizations. And also, I've had, you know, people at family reunions play it. You know, um, it's just a very wide range of people who could be interested in it. Yeah. So what was it like when you played with friends and family when you were first designing this? Well, it was brutal <laughs> my first time <laughs> because, um, you know, there's so many things you didn't think about and First time playing it, it was it's a lot to give up with. Like first, it was a lot of information. I didn't know what to not put in because there's so much you could put into the game. Right. Um, so I kind of had to know what can I put in that's still manageable. Um, because okay. for example, prison industrial complex, right? Prison industrial complex in my game is relatively simple, but in real life, it's really complicated. There's plea deals. There's going to jail for so long. There's waiting for your court. I mean, if I right. did a, did a true resemblance of our prison industrial complex. If you landed on that, it'd be the whole game. You'd be in court for the whole game. Other things I had to like see what I could work out with. But once I got to a point where it was like a workable version of the game, which was like a, t- a year and a half in, it was really mm-hmm. fun seeing people respond to it. And you recognize a lot of things about society within this game. You recognize how this is just play money people are playing with, but they're still greedy. They still want to have more. Right. And they're still mm-hmm. laughing. And a lot of people, most of the time, they laugh when someone else is suffering. Like, you got your mortgage denied. Ha 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 ha. That's so sad. I'm going to buy a property now and I'm going to make money off of it now. It's a microcosm. You kind of can see at the end of the game, sometimes I ask people, how come we didn't help that person? How come we didn't? You were totally rich with Monopoly money and someone was totally in bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Why did they help? I don't know. But it's a microcosm for the capital society. How, you know, it's just one person's gain is another person's loss. Like, quite literally. But it was fun. I mean, a lot of good feedback, playing with um, friends and family. I play a lot with teachers, too. Since I'm a teacher, I went to a lot of professional developments. And I found that teachers, you know, since they are, they make games all the time, had really good feedback, really good comments on it. And it really helped me push the game further. I remember when I first heard about it, my initial thought, very honestly, was kind of like... Well, that doesn't sound very fun, you know, (laughs) and seriously, like, and then I got it and I started looking at it and I'm like, this is amazing. This is such a powerful tool because too, like to your point, you have a parent who is an artist, you have a parent who is a journalist and you're an educator. And the Mm -hmm. thing that you understand that a lot of people just don't quite understand or really appreciate is how much a tactile experience and being able to play through something like that, how much that Mm -hmm. impacts you on a deeper level. And so like I've played it a couple of times and I have two kids who are nine and they homeschool for right now. And, you know, I'm showing it to them and kind of talking to them about it. Obviously, they they don't grasp all of the big concepts being nine, but Uh they also know a lot because I've focused very heavily for the last couple of years on accurate historical education and awesome. So so they're very aware of things and very educated on that. But yeah, I just thought, wow, this is such a powerful tool. And for people who are doing diversity trainings, I didn't even think about schools and kids, but oh my gosh, because so many parents (laughs) come to me, they say like, you know, like maybe they've heard the podcast and they heard me talk about the fact that I homeschool and I 
work on teaching my kids a decolonized history and these different things. And they're, they're kind of like, how do you do that? Like, how do you get information? And it was not easy just two years ago, finding and connecting with information and being a 42 year old white woman who grew up in whitewashed education. It was hard for me because I'm like, I don't even know what stories to tell. Like I don't, I'm learning alongside them. And so now I'm starting to connect with people and learn about people who are doing things like you're doing, but I've not met anybody doing what you're doing and and doing it in this game fashion and this education fashion. So I'm just thinking like, wow, this would be such a powerful tool for homeschooling parents, for teachers. Yeah, teachers and educators, and then diversity Mm -hmm. trainers and educators. There's something different to it. When you sit down and you get your identity card and you find (laughs) out who you are and you have your assigned roles and you start working through this, it brought it to an entirely different level for me. And it was so helpful because I'm one of those people like that's kind of how I learn better. I like to yeah. talk. You said something about like how when you first saw it, it didn't seem like it was fun. And I hear that so much. When yeah. I talk about my game to people and they're like, does that same game sound fun? Is that fun at all? And of course, like, you know, I say yes. Like, of course, I mean, it's a really fun game. Like once you get into it, it's a fun game yeah. um, because you kind of you get into your your identity and you learn things. It's a kind of safe way for people to understand it because you're, it's personalized, right? So you're talking yes. about who you are at that time. Thank you for saying it is a fun game. It doesn't sound fun, but it is fun. And a lot of people are living this life anyway. I mean, people are living this experience already now, but gamifying it makes it like a little bit less, more playful and nothing more personalized. That's what I hope. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah. And it's not, but it's not fun in an irreverent way. Right. But it's yeah. also informative and educational and it takes it to that next level. And that's where I feel like, man, if you could get this into schools across the board, this would be amazing. You know, like just amazing, an amazing yeah. tool. I would like to talk to you about what the diff- most difficult part of the game was. Yes. And still is. The most difficult part of, the game, of creating the game was the rule book by far. Mm. The rule book is really difficult because, of course, all these rules are slightly modified from the original game. And, you know, I just hope that the rule book is something that's clear. This new version of the game is going to have a rule book and a banker's guide. And the oh. banker's guide is hopefully to help people facilitate the game. It helps you have a facilitator playing the game. So I have made a guide as well that's going to help people actually facilitate the game. So if you are a trainer or something, you can just take that guide and it will help you to have people play the game and learn the best from it. Okay, because I do plan on hosting and utilizing it. I have dinner parties fairly regularly, so I do plan on using it in larger groups. I mean, I know we can play, what, is it six or seven people? Yeah, up to eight people can play at one time. I also would like to talk about the origin of Monopoly in general, because actually, that's the interesting story that I found out about the origin of Monopoly. So Monopoly originally was created as a landlord's game by a woman named Elizabeth Maggie, who made this game, I think during, um, I think, I can't say, I'm from Powerful History, but in the 1920s, 1930s, something like that. She made a game because a lot of people were buying property and renting it out, and she was seeing how it was making the rich people richer and the poor people poor. So she made a game that was kind of t- teaching how this system of capitalism was actually harmful to communities. And mm-hmm. she actually made a game in which there was two versions of the game, two rules, two sets of rules. One set of rules was monopolist rules, which was basically capitalist rules. Another one was the populist rules, which was more of a kind of a socialism, more of a everyone shares some of the wealth model. 
And the game was used to educate people about those two different ways of society. And in the game, it really clearly proved how the monopolist rules, one person or a few people got rich and everyone else was poor. Populist rules were more of a way for people sharing the wealth. And people loved this game and it was really fun. And a person, I forget his name, saw the game and she was selling it at like a little, her little house and she was, um, she was playing with people and having game parties and people were buying them. And it was very successful. Mm -hmm. I'm not wildly successful, but she was making good money off of it. But, and then someone took it and gave it to Parker Brothers and said, Hey, let's, let's make this game because people like it. And then they found out that she had the patent on it. And then they bought the patent for her for $500. (gasps) Five hundred dollars. Wow. He bought the patent from her for, and she was just happy that this game was going to be, you know, at least to the public. And she wanted people to be educated about, you know, these two systems. And they told her, "Yeah, we're definitely going to be knowing about both of these. Um, we're going to keep it as as it was." But of course, they made very few of her type of games that kind of showed both types, mm-hmm. and they made a lot of the Monopoly games. And of course, we know the history of Monopoly. It's like, you know, made so much money. And uh, Elizabeth Maggie died penniless. Wow. Right? So it's a crazy story how a woman, I would never, I mean, no one ever knew it was a woman that made it, right? And that, mm-hmm. that she got, you know, messed over so bad. Not surprising. Also, there's a book about it, you know, really a kid's book about it called The Story of Go. It's a really good book. And yeah, it's a really interesting story. So I, I really am happy to like kind of carry on that legacy of Elizabeth Maggie. And kind of show how capitalism isn't the best system for us to really have a healthy society. And when you compound racism and sexism and really, you know, homophobia, all these other xenophobias, you, you put all those mm-hmm. into there into your capitalist society and it makes for more inequality. It makes it more inequity and it makes for just a lower standard of life. So you said something about this generation that Mm -hmm. you feel like they have a lot of understanding. And that's really interesting to me because you're an educator and you teach third grade. Do you feel like education has shifted and changed and is improving? I would like to first talk about how you said that you had a whitewashed um, education so did I, right? Even as mm-hmm. a black man in America, I went to a private school, most, mostly white um, private school. And mm-hmm. I was taught, even though at home, you know, very black power and I was told, you know, but it's told me things I was taught that I was brainwashed of. And it wasn't until I went to Morehouse College that for one, I was even seen that I actually had a teacher that actually saw me and like saw my potential. So mm-hmm. uh, for 13 years of my schooling, I had no teachers that were like, oh, Perry, you're bright. Perry, you've, you know, you have talent. Not until I went to college, right? And that's why education is so important. And I mean, I was just so brainwashed. And then when I went to Morehouse, seeing, you know, Morehouse, you know, sources of historically black college, um, mm-hmm. seeing all so many different diversities of what it is to be black, what it is to be a black man, totally changed my life. And if it wasn't for that education, I don't think that inequality would even exist. Yeah. I was definitely brainwashed about, you know, just colonized mind frame of education. That's why I'm so glad to be in education now, because I'm able to tell the truth and tell these stories. And yes, I do think that for Generation Z students, the way I see it is, You know, Obama changed a lot, right? Obama, when Obama was elected, everyone knew who was president. When I was a kid, I didn't know who was president at all, right? You could not Mm -hmm. ask me when I was four or five years old, who's president? I would be, I wouldn't be able to tell you who was president. I don't tell you now who was president um, (laughs) during that time. But everyone knows when Obama was president, right? Because that was something that people knew. So kids who started around that time were just born more politically aware, more politically Mm -hmm. ambitious. And people thought that they could be that. I mean, when um, Obama was elected, in the, um, I had I was in Korea when he, when he was inaugurated, and they're calling me Obama. 
everywhere. When I went to Korea, because obviously there's not too many black oh, yeah. people in Korea, yeah. but I loved it. I was like, I'm being called the president of America. Like, this mm-hmm. is awesome. It was a great time, you know. And of course, now with the orange one in office, everyone knows who he is as well. So people are just <laughs> no more naturally political. Mm-hmm. And we're living in a time now where you cannot deny racism and sexism exist. You cannot. I mean, you cannot, no self-respecting American person right now can deny that racism and sexism is alive and well in America. I have students, um, I started school just a couple of weeks ago. I asked my students, okay, girls, um, I see all girls. Imagine this whole classroom is the world, right? And I show them a map of the world. I show them what's east and west and south and north, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, stand right now. We're in the world you want to live when you grow up. One of my students asked me, is this Mr. Clemens? Is this with or without global warming? Wow. Right? He's an eight-year-old student asked me this. And everyone was like, yeah, good question. And I was like, okay, let's assume global warming doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, wow. go where you want to live. And she picked to live in Florida. <laughs> right okay so she's very aware so in the last year students my students all year round was asking Mr. Clemens, what about the wall is the wall being built is that gonna be built? i mean they're so engaged now about these things because it's you can't avoid it anymore it's really so it's so in your face it's so every day you really can't avoid it anymore and it's just really promising i really have a lot of hope and optimism seeing all the generations of these students i've experienced because they're bold and they're not really taking it anymore and i love it also, I mean, that's another thing about the game is that what to take in, what to, what to put in, what to take out. Environmental racism was something that I wasn't originally going to put in there. But when mm-hmm. I just learned more about how environmental racism, you know, how it functions, I had to put it in. And natural disasters, I mean, all these things have unequal outcomes on different communities. We know climate change is going to affect the poor more than anyone else so much. So um, that was something I put into the game as well. When did Inequalityopoly become available? Um, so I started making it available last summer. I did my first Kickstarter for the game. Mm-hmm. So I made a Kickstarter for the game and I was very young. I didn't really know about how to make a board game at all. I mean, I just made it from scratch. I didn't know how much I could, how much it would cost to make it, how I could, how I could produce it. So I made a Kickstarter goal for about sixteen thousand dollars to make mm-hmm. five thousand games. A very, very ambitious goal I had. <laughs> and of course, once the Kickstarter thing went up, I got instant hate. It was so many negative comments. People were just having so much fun seeing my campaign fail, oh, and no. it failed. I didn't, I didn't get to sixteen thousand dollars, but you know, I never give up. So I just. Put, it, put my everything together and launched again on Indiegogo for only a thousand dollars, and that one I successfully raised a thousand dollars, a little more than a thousand dollars to make my game. So I was really happy that it happened. But you know, that's why it's good to you know trial and error is it's all a learning process. You know, so I learned a lot from that. My first Kickstarter campaign and my next Indiegogo campaign that I had last summer was successful. And I was really happy for that. And I sent out those games around December last year. Mm-hmm. And over, you know, while I was playing it and sending it out, I saw, you know, how people really reacting to it. And I saw how many changes I can make and how I can improve on it. So I did another um, Kickstarter and Indiegogo this summer. The Kickstarter this year that I did, the same haters were on my page this year. But I made my goal this year. I, I passed my goal this year. 
So, awesome. um, so those haters were kind of you know, very quiet and it was great. But my supporters and backers really came through and bought the game. And so I did a Kickstarter campaign and passed my goal there. And then I did the Indiegogo campaign, which is still going now. It's called an in-demand campaign. So you could just buy it on Indiegogo right now. And this is a 2.0 version. So this is a version that has kind of a streamlined gameplay and includes more, more recent data. This game is about, um, it's kind of about macroaggressions, like kind of the bigger society of racism and sexism. Mm -hmm. But I also hope to, in the future, work on one that's kind of a microaggression game oh, that wow. shows how microaggressions affect you. Because this is this game omits the emotional toll. Because this is a game about capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know, as if it's true of capitalism, it, it takes away the kind of spiritual emotional bond with other people but i really want to i want to have another game maybe in the future about how microaggressions affect you about how the, the mini racism the the death by a thousand little cuts hurts and um, that's something hopefully i want to work on later and also i was able to present at a at a conference to high schoolers and it was just so fun to do that and also um blurred con Blurred oh. is black nerd convention. I went there this summer and I learned about so many other black game makers. And it's really fun to like join this community that I didn't know existed. That's awesome. And it's just so fun to to have it out there, to all this information out there. Now, just out of curiosity, is there any sort of like with the name Inequalityopoly, have you heard anything from Monopoly? Because I did notice that they put out, I heard this, I was listening to NPR last weekend. I think. And they were talking about how Monopoly created a board game for like a women's version to show yeah, the. Monopoly. Yeah. Like yeah. I was thinking of you when I heard that and I'm like, oh my gosh, did they take his idea? Like what's going <laughs> on here? You know, like so, what's going on there? I, I didn't know about that because that got released while I was like getting ready for school. So I was in total school mode. I wasn't really in my social media, but mm -hmm. I opened my social media and um, some of my um, followers you know, added me on it and said, you know, um, you know, what do you think about this? For one, it's crazy for people that like totally out know in the world just to be like, oh, you know, stop thinking about my game. I mean, think about some other CNN article or this mm -hmm. Monopoly game. I'm really just honored by that people are thinking of me. So I really th thank you for thinking of me during that time. But it's like a, um, I mean, that game to me seems like an empty platitude. Just like, oh, we're just going to act like, yep. in this game, we're just going to act like they get paid more money and we're going to spot out some, you know, um, famous um women inventors which is great right men you know stuff like that it's like empty platitude and it just seems like oh yeah they just kind of they're pandering seems like this pandering like the Absolutely. real story is the opposite the real story is that people aren't treated fairly just because of their pursuit identity and as far as you know um monopoly i haven't heard anything from monopoly but it took me a year to work on to start working on the game because i was afraid i would get sued yeah like, i was like how i'll be able to get sued um, but I realized that, you know, Opoly is, you know, you can't, you can't copyright Opoly, the suffix Opoly right. and game mechanics. And, you know, once I learned more about the legal format of the game, I learned that I could actually do this because it's not really like Monopoly at all. So, yeah. And also there was Monopoly Socialism. You heard about that too? No. The Mon Mon Monopoly Socialism, which was like a Monopoly game that people just made fun and really was not really a very true depiction of, of socialism. It was kind of made to like as a pro propaganda tool. Wow. So I also, my, my, fam my followers also told me about that one and I see what I think about that. And I don't know what you think. Well, the, I mean, Monopoly is laughing to the bank, right? Like they've yeah. made 
Uh, isn't it like the highest grossing? It's the most popular game in America. Yeah, definitely. Most popular board game in America. Yeah. They get so much money. The, I love knowing the history of this now. Like having this story about the woman who originally created it and what her goal was. Yes. And what yes. she was teaching people through that. Just it it takes it to a different level for me of understanding. And, and realizing also irony, realizing how much it was <laughs> co-opted yes. and whitewashed and manipulated. You know, yeah. it's like, wow isn't that ironic that you yeah. know that happened so and would you be surprised if it was it was all men of course that of you course. know took the idea from her and you know it's, it's just crazy oh yeah crazy. but the times are changing and this is what i'm yeah. encouraged by i love talking to people who are out there doing this work like you're doing in creative oh, ways you know people who are using their education and their passion and you know and their gifts to create new ways that we can experience experience and be challenged to dig deeper on this stuff and to make change because you're not just creating this so that people can play it. You're creating mm -hmm. it to change people's perspectives and understanding on something and to challenge them to something deeper to, to exactly. start asking that question then. So, so what's after playing this? What do we do yes. after acknowledging and recognizing the prison industrial complex, for example? You know, how yeah, do you how do you start so, to learn yeah. more and go deeper in those things? So, I'm so glad you brought that up because I mean, this when I start making this game, I realized this game needs a mission. It's not a regular game. Like most games, don't have missions. Yeah. Right? But this game has a mission, right? The game, the mission of the game is to spread awareness and advance discourse about the effects of racism and sexism in America. That's all, right? So people, when you're, when you're learning more about it, or people are talking about it, my mission is accomplished. And mm. it was really important for this game to be a mission-driven game. And that same token, when I was first started working on the game, the big question for me was, what is after it? Like you said, what's after I played this game? So at first, I, I had ideas about, you know, starting maybe a political group or making starting a petition mm. because really really I, I wanted this game to have to have people learn about traditional justice traditional justice is a really important term i think that people need to learn about more and, and tra traditional justice was something that's popularized by um, nelson mandela and it was it's a process where you can redress injustices that have happened on a huge scale in a, in a country. So, for mm -hmm. example, in America, with slavery, with all the treaties broken with the Native Americans, with oh, with so many things that happened in America, the history of America, they're so big that our justice system can't handle it. You can't just go and have all black people sue the government, you know, in court. You know what I'm saying? It's too big of these cases. So, this is why transitional justice is so important because it's a way of truth telling, memorializing what happened. Of reparations. It is a way of trying to address all of these things that happen in our society. So people always say, oh yeah, well, racism is too big of a thing for us to solve. And I disagree. How many people have been onto the moon? How many mm -hmm. robots are on Mars? You know, like, don't tell me. I tell my kids that all the time. There's robots on Mars. Everything is possible. So um, traditional justice, traditional reforms, truth commissions, reparations programs, memorializations, and truth-telling. And those things will help us as a society to kind of know what happened in our history. And once we know what happened, it will be less likely for us to repeat it. So I really want um, people who played it to maybe sign a petition or join a movement like that. And I'm still working on something like that, but it's hard because the game is already so heavy. Just playing it, I, I don't want to go and push further to have people... You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, we don't know what should be next because when I first started making it, I 
I thought that just people just playing it wasn't enough. That people mm-hmm. need to be able to do something after it or have opportunities to do something after it. So I think that's my next goal is to figure out what is next. What can, how can we push this forward? And I was really wary of starting like a petition or a group or something because there's so many groups out there doing great stuff already. Right. I mean, NAACP, you know, ACLU, you know, Southern Property Law Center. There's so many places doing something. And the nature of the game is using resources from other people. So I just use other people's studies, national studies, Pew Research studies. Right. So it's a kind of thing where I'm kind of almost saying on the shoulders of others. So I really would love to see what organizations I could just join rather than starting one because I don't want to start a march when one's going already on already, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I love the visual of, you know, standing on shoulders. And I feel like yeah. so much of this work is that, you know, for me as a white woman, and coming into this work, I'm really, really late to this, you know, so it's like my role isn't to go and create a movement and to lead something. My role is to find the people who have been doing this for decades and join with them. So I really... I really relate to that, (laughs) you know? And so if anybody, like anybody who's listening to this, because we have a lot of listeners all over the world, actually, if anybody is interested in partnering with Inequalityopoly and and working together in some fashion, do you have a direct email or a place that people can contact you? Yes, I do. Um, On my website, www.inequalityopoly.com, at the very bottom, you'll find a chart conversation tab where you can fill out a form and put your name, your email, and a little note, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Also, you can reach me at inequalityopoly at gmail.com and just email me and I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, I have been invited to do some events already, and I'm really glad to be invited to these opportunities to present my game. So I'm open to any of them. I'm based in New York City, so anywhere in the kind of East Coast I'm able to, to travel to. Um, so yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and okay. I just really appreciate um, you having me, and I, I just really love your podcast. And I actually have put up a special page for this podcast. I'm so happy to be on this podcast. Oh, yay. Um, for a speaking of racism. So if you go to www.inequalityopoly.com, I have a special deals for your listeners. Um, awesome. Just go to the top right and click speaking of racism podcast and you'll see the deals that we have we have um but it's a basic basic set that you can buy and also you have a trainer pack for diversity trainers as well. Perfect. So um Yes. I really appreciate what you do and you having me. Thanks. Well, I mean, really, this podcast is the people who come on the show. And like I was saying earlier, I absolutely love hearing and meeting with and, you know, just hearing the the hearts and the passion and the work that people are putting forward. There are so many really cool people in the world doing this work. And the more we can connect with one another and the more that we Mm -hmm. can join together in that sort of collective, I think the more powerful and just the more encouraging because this is tough stuff that we're talking about and that people are living through every single day of their lives. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much. And as promised, I will be reading reviews after every episode. This week's review comes from Sequoia Shelley via Apple Podcasts, and they say, I love the guests she interviews. They are so informed, inspired, and challenging. I hear a lot of hope in these dialogues. I intend to follow up on many of these anti-racist leaders. That is the point of this entire show. Follow up on the people that you are introduced to, follow their platforms, listen to their podcasts, invest in the 
people that you are introduced to and keep the reviews coming because every week I will be reading a new one at the end of each show. 